Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, May 8th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. A lot of great podcasts. I think we've probably got over 60 now, carefully curated, a wide variety of topics. So definitely worth your while to get on over there and find yourself something to listen to. Um, Odds are you'll run out of time to listen to all the things you want to listen to from over there. I want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. That is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school. So uh, we're trying to give ourselves a trustworthy alternative here in the community. So go ahead and click on the link. Uh, it give you a much better description than I just did, much more thorough. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started with our reading for the day. Uh, We're going to be doing, since we're back into the week, we're going to be doing our Bible study in the evening segment. But we're going to do our Bible reading uh, here in the morning segment. So let's go ahead and open up with the second day morning prayer. God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things. By the word of thy power, darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right, in our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it is from John 5.13. He that was healed wist not who it was. Years are short to the happy and healthy, but thirty-eight years of disease must have dragged a very weary length along the life of the poor impotent man. When Jesus therefore healed him by a word, while he lay at the pool of Bethesda, he was delightfully sensible of a change. Hang on a second, I want to make sure I'm on the right day here. That sounds familiar. No, that's right. The one yesterday spoke about the same guy. I'm so sorry. Um, Where do we go? 
There we go. Delightfully sensible of a change. Okay. Even so, the sinner who has for weeks and months been paralyzed with despair and has wearily sighed for salvation is very conscious of the change when the Lord Jesus speaks the word of power and gives joy and peace in believing. The evil removed is too great to be removed without our discerning it. The life imparted is too remarkable to be possessed and remain inoperative, and the change wrought is too marvelous not to be perceived. Yet the poor man was ignorant of the author of his cure. He knew not the sacredness of his person, the offices which he sustained, or the errand which brought him around men. Much ignorance of Jesus may remain in hearts which yet feel the power of his blood. We must not hastily condemn men for lack of knowledge. But where we can see the faith which saves the soil, soul, we must believe that salvation has been bestowed. The Holy Spirit makes men penitents long before he makes them divines, and he who believes what he knows shall soon know more clearly what he believes. Ignorance is, however, an evil, for this poor man was much tantalized by the Pharisees and was quite unable to cope with them. It is good to be able to answer gainsayers, but we cannot do so if we know not the Lord Jesus clearly and with understanding. The cure of his ignorance, however, soon followed the cure of his infirmity, for he was visited by the Lord in the temple, and after that gracious manifestation he was found testifying that it was Jesus who had made him whole. Lord, if thou hast saved me, show me thyself, that I may declare thee to the sons of men. All right, and now our Bible reading. All right, we're going to be reading 1 Samuel 2, verse 22 through the end of the chapter, 1 Samuel 3 and 4, John 5, verses 24 through the end of the chapter there, which is verse 47, uh, Psalm 106, the first 12 verses, and then Proverbs 14, verses 30 and 31. So 1 Samuel 2, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the people of Yahweh passing about. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against Yahweh, who can pray for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for Yahweh desired to put them to death. Now the young boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor, both with Yahweh and with men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, enslaved to Pharaoh's house? And did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my habitation, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now Yahweh declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be cursed. Behold, the days are coming, and I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house, and you will look upon the distress of my habitation, in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house all the days. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar, so that your eyes will fail from weeping, and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will be put to death in the prime of life. Now this will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day both of them will be put to death. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. 
and I will build him a faithful house, and he will walk before my anointed always. And it will be that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and say, Please assign me to one of the priest's offices, so that I may eat a piece of bread. 1 Samuel 3 Now the young boy, Sam, young boy Samuel was ministering to Yahweh before Eli, and word from Yahweh was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And it happened at that time, as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to fade, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of Yahweh, where the ark of God was. Then Yahweh called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Go back, lie down. So he went and lay down. Then Yahweh called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call, my son. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, nor had the word of Yahweh yet been revealed to him. So Yahweh called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that Yahweh was calling the young boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, then you shall say, Speak, Yahweh, for your slave is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then Yahweh came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your slave is listening. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will establish against Eli all that I have spoken, concerning his house from beginning to end. And I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons have been bringing a curse on themselves. But he did not rebuke them. Now therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is Yahweh. Let him do what seems good in his eyes. Thus Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. So all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of Yahweh. And Yahweh appeared again at Shiloh, because Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of Yahweh. And for Samuel 4. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle, and camped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines camped in Aphek, and the Philistines arranged themselves to meet Israel. Then the battle spread, and Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who struck down about four thousand men on the battlefield. Then the people came into the camp, and the elders of Israel said, Why has Yahweh defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh of hosts who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And it happened that as the ark of the covenant of Yahweh came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth was thrown into confusion. Then the Philistines heard the noise of the shout and said, What does the noise of, the great of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? 
Then they knew that the ark of Yahweh had come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and become men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore become men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh, the same day with his robes torn and dust on his head. And he came, and behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching, because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. Now the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. Then Eli heard the noise of the outcry, and he said, What does the noise of this commotion mean? So the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety-eight years old, and his eyes had set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I fled from the battle line today. And he said, How did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken. And it happened that when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with child and about to give birth. And she heard the report that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband had died. So she kneeled down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she called the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. All right. John 5, verse 24 through the end of the chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing from myself, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. But the witness I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the witness I have is greater than the witness of John, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness about me. 
You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Psalm 106, verses 1 through 12. Sorry, I was a little strident there, and you'll see why when we do the evening segment and our evening uh, Bible study. So Psalm 106, verses 1 through 12. Praise Yah, O give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of Yahweh, or can make all his praise to be heard? How blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness all at all times. Remember me, O Yahweh, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the goodness of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. We have sinned with our, father, with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not consider your wondrous deeds. They did not remember your abundant loving kindness. But they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his might known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. And he led them through the deeps, as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and re and redeem them from the hand of the enemy the waters covered their adversaries not one of them was left then they believed his words they sang his praise all right and finally proverbs 14 verse 30 and 31 a tranquil heart is life to the body but jealousy is rottenness to the bones he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker but he who is gracious to the needy honors him all right. Well, that is our Bible reading for this morning. Um, I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I, I love you all. And I thank you for taking this time. I'm so very, very blessed by the, by the listeners that are listening. Again, I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back or to go, Oh, looky, looky, looky. But I am very, very blessed. Um, because we've, we've now gone over 10,000 listens and, and that just, that floors me. Um, you know, all, all I want to do is bring glory to God. Um, that's the only reason I started doing any of this is to bring glory to God and to further his kingdom. Um, and to hope and, and in hopes of helping people that sometimes have trouble being able to focus, to sit down and read, but can at least listen to the word of God. And I want to continue to help them and help provide a, an ability to saturate, to keep your minds in the word, to keep us all in the word constantly so that it shapes us so that every decision we make, everything we do is shaped for the glory of God. Um, so that's why I'm doing this. And, and I appreciate it that y'all have come along with me. Um, no matter where you're listening from, I'm very, very blessed and very, very grateful for you. All right. So I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God.
I hope to see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, the prayer we're going to close out with from Valley of Vision is called Things Needful. Let's pray. Thou eternal source, author of all created being and happiness, I adore thee for making man capable of religion, that he may be taught to say, Where is God my maker who giveth songs in the night? But degeneracy has spread over our human race, turning glory into shame, rendering us forgetful of thee. We know it is thy power alone that can recall wandering children, can impress on them a sense of divine things, and can render that sense lasting and effectual. From thee proceed all good purposes and desires, and the diffusing of piety and happiness. Thou hast knowledge of my soul's secret principles, and art aware of my desire to spread the gospel. Make me an almoner to give thy bounties to the indigent, comfort to the mentally ill, restoration to the sin-diseased, hope to the despairing, joy to the sorrowing, and love to the prodigals. Blow away the ashes of unbelief by thy spirit's breath, and give me light, fire, and warmth of love. I need spiritual comforts that are gentle, peaceful, mild, refreshing, that will melt me into conscious lowliness before thee that will make me feel and rest in thee as my all. Fill the garden of my soul with the wind of love, that the sense of the Christian life may be wafted to others. Then come and gather fruits to thy glory. So shall I fulfill the great end of my being, to glorify thee and be a blessing to men. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a great day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, May 8th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, which is probably a good thing because I hate to be swapping identities. Um, that, that would be awful. Um, honestly, that would be awful. I mean, I, I, I have trouble liking myself. <laughs> <laughs> trying to do do something else and i have enough trouble in my walk of sanctification being one person much less being multiples so again i am wayne floyd your host uh we're going to be continuing on oh sorry faith comes from hearing is a humble member of the christian podcast community you can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org a lot of great stuff to listen to over there um m- m- most of them actually probably all of them much better than my than my podcast but i appreciate that you're over here listening with me and we're going to be getting back into our Bible study in the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of an introduction of this next section here um, per, you know, and like I've said before, I, I use John MacArthur's um, section titles and subsections and whatever. It just makes it easier from his commentaries, um, which I would recommend you get hold of. Admittedly, there's a lot of books. I think it's 33 or 34 with the index, um, but they're wonderful. They're, they're, they're on a level written for anybody to read them. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a seminary student or a seminary graduate or a PhD or any of that to read through them. They're very, very good. Um, very, very informative. Um, so definitely worth your while. Um, also, um, R.C. Sproul's on the Gospel of John, his on the Gospel of John is wonderful. It's very pastorally written. Um, and if you're looking for somebody um, a little bit older, one of the dead folks, and I don't mean that disparagingly, Matthew Henry's. I love Matthew Henry's. He's an old Puritan. 
Um, and his is just so pastorally written. I just, I read his for the fun of it, not just for the study. I read his for the fun of it, for the enjoyment of it and for the being fed, being fed pastorally. So anyways, just a little aside there. And let's see, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump in, uh, cause we want to get into our Bible study. Uh, we're going to open up with a prayer here from Valley Vision. This one is called resurrection. Let's pray. O God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died in him I rose. In his life I live, in his victory I triumph. In his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, thou who wast lifted up upon a cross, art ascended to highest heaven. Thou who as man of sorrows wast crowned with thorns art now as Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than thine, no agony more bitter, no death more cruel, now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective, um, sorry, no advocate more effective, thou art in the triumph car leading captive. Thine enemies behind thee, what more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers, my comfort. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for May 8th. Uh, for the evening segment, this is, uh, the text is from Job twenty-two twenty-one. Acquaint now thyself with him. If we would, sorry, that's not moving. Sorry, click. Okay. If we would rightly acquaint ourselves with God and be at peace, we must know him as he has revealed himself not only in the unity of his essence and subsistence, but also in the plurality of his persons. God said, let us make man in our own image. Let not man be content until he knows something of the us from whom his being was derived. Endeavor to know the Father, bury your head in his bosom in deep repentance, and confess that you are not worthy to be called his son. Receive the kiss of his love. Let the ring, which is the token of his eternal faithfulness, be on your finger." Sit at his table and let your heart make merry in his grace. Then press forward and seek to know much of the Son of God, who is the brightness of his Father's glory, and yet in unspeakable condescension of grace became man for our sakes. Know him in the singular complexity of his nature, eternal God and yet suffering finite man. Follow him as he walks the waters with the tread of deity, and as he sits upon the well in the weariness of humanity." Be not satisfied unless you know much of Jesus Christ as your friend, your brother, your husband, your all. Forget not the Holy Spirit. Endeavor to obtain a clear view of his nature and character, his attributes and his works. Behold that Spirit of the Lord, who first of all moved upon chaos and brought forth order, who now visits the chaos of your soul and creates the order of holiness. Behold him as the Lord and giver of spiritual life, the illuminator, the instructor, the comforter, and the sanctifier. Behold him as like holy unction, 
He descends upon the head of Jesus, and then afterwards rests upon you who are as the skirts of his garments. Such an intelligent, scriptural, and experimental belief in the Trinity in unity is yours if you truly know God, and such knowledge brings peace indeed. Wow, what an awesome one, awesome, awesome one from Spurgeon for us. All right, well, let's see. All right, well, let's get on into our Bible study. We're going to be getting back into it in John chapter 8 after our weekend off. Um, okay, so we're moving to a new segment. Sorry, I got a little winded. I had to take a stop for a minute and do a few things. Um, and I get winded easy. Um, but we're going to continue on in John chapter 8. So we finished our section about um, dealing with Jesus's claim to be the light of the world, his proclamation that he was the light of the world. And we finished that. And, and we're going to run through a little bit of an introduction here, but we're moving on to the next section. So we went, we were, uh, what was it? It was John eight verses 12 through 21. So it was after the little interlude about the woman caught in adultery and the Jewish leaders and the hypocrisy that they, that the Jewish leadership showed but it was more about Jesus's character during that, the humility he showed, uh, the forgiveness he showed, but, but the accusation, I mean, the, the conviction that he showed towards those leaders. So dealt with that. But then we moved on into this Jesus being the light of the world. Um, and so we dealt with the different parts of the area that it took place in. Again, it took place in the women's court, um, which, which actually had, had, you know, um, that was important. Um, that was, it was in the treasure by it at the treasury. Um, and again, like we, like I explained to you, the treasury was not a building itself, but what it was, it was a place where there were 13 trumpet shaped boxes where people would drop their contributions in and the, and the boxes were, were earmarked. They said specifically where those funds would go, but that happened to be a very, obviously a very, very, um, active place a lot of activity. And again, I, I explained to you, there's the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women and the court of the men court of the men was the furthest in. Um, so everybody could go in the court of the Gentiles, the men and the, the Jewish men and women could go to the court of the women. And then the Jewish men could go to the court of the men. But so the court of the court of the women tended to be very, very busy. So, like I said, and of course where Jesus was preaching, preaching there and teaching there by the treasury was very, very close to where the Sanhedrin men all met almost within earshot. So, you know, and needless to say, they've, they've been wanting to apprehend him. They're not liking what he's preaching. They don't not happy with what he's saying. But again, we saw him make the assertion that he's the light of the world. And then of course they, they come back and accuse him that, uh, they accuse him that he's testifying about himself and that because of that, it's invalid. And of course, that's true from the from the point of the law, except the fact that that's within a court. This isn't a court, so it doesn't really apply. But we see him answer back, and he answers back with three different ev evidences to support that his self-testimony is true. One, he points out his divine origin and his divine destiny and their ignorance of that. He makes clear that you're ignorant of this, but this is who I am. And then his divine nature manifests. He, he proclaims his divine nature and that nature being shared with the father. He's clear. He says the father, that is the reference to God. 
He's making very, very clear that, that his nature is a shared nature with God, making clear that he could only be the son of God. He can only be the Christ, the Messiah. And then his, that final evidence is he rebuts the Pharisees and the chief priests accusation that he's the only witness for his claims. He makes clear that there are more than one witnesses. And in in this case, he makes clear that God himself is a witness to Christ. So Christ's witness and God's witness, and that both of them are divine, totally refutes and, and makes a mockery truly of what the, what the Pharisees have been saying, the Pharisees and the chief priests have been saying. And then we saw the announcement in verse 21. Then he said again to them, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Of course, referring to his death, to his death on the cross. So we get in to what we're going to deal with over this next week, God willing. And so I'm going to read them to you. This, this is, um, John chapter 8, verses 22 through 30. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction this evening. And then God willing, we'll start breaking this down into sections. Okay. So John 8, verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I am saying to the world. They did not know that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing from myself, but I speak these things as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was speaking these things, many believed in him. So I read all that to you. And I'm going to tell you, so this, this is kind of our title for this next section. Again, this is John MacArthur's title. It's how to die in your sin, which is kind of a weird title, but how to die in your sin. We're coming out of Jesus, the light of the world into how to die in your sin, but it's appropriate. Actually, that's one of the reasons I used it is it's appropriate when you really get down into what these verses tell us about this interaction with these chief priests and Pharisees. And what they what what their faith, what their walk looks like. So so let's get a little bit into it. The Bible is full of instances of sinful choices leading to painful and sometimes lethal consequences. And here are some examples of them. The first one obviously has to be Adam and Eve themselves. And you see this sinful choice in Genesis three, verses two through six. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it and you shall not touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. 
Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. There's the sinful choice. There is the poor choice that she made, the sinful choice. And that he made. Don't get, It's not just her. He made the choice too. She gave it to him and he went ahead and ate it. He didn't go, no, 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 no. He ate it. So he is as culpable as she is. But then the consequences, like I said, the, the, the painful and sometimes lethal consequences. Genesis 3 verses 16 through 19. This is God. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and, and conception. In pain, you will bear children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then they were kicked from the garden, and a guardian set up there so that they could never go back in. They could never get back in. Painful. Lethal. Uh, honestly, it was lethal for them. You don't see them being affected right away. But until that point, they were eternal. God had made them eternal. It was at that point that death came into the world. We see Moses and Aaron doing the same thing um, where they didn't show the proper respect. God, God told them what to do to bring water, to provide water for the Israelites. And instead of being respectful and, and, uh, and awe-filled and, and reverent, they behaved incorrectly. And same thing. They were not allowed to come into the promised land. Numbers 20 verses 7 through 12. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before Yahweh, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses raised high his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and the beasts drank. But Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So again, they, with all the work they've done, with all the work they end up doing, they don't reap the benefits. They don't go into the promised land. One sinful choice, but that's all it takes. One sinful choice, but that's all it takes. Um, as much as you might not think about it, Solomon, he was the chosen of God. Out of all of David's sons, he was the chosen of God. Even when all he asked for, and that's the thing, when he prayed to God, God said, what do you want? He said, I want the wisdom to be able to govern these, your chosen people. And God lauded him for that and said, I'll give you that, but I'm going to give you all these other things you didn't ask for. He ended up being the richest and the wisest and the most powerful that had ever lived. And, and honestly, if you really figured it out, even in today's terms, he'd still have been the richest and the wisest and the most powerful that had ever lived. 
Yet in his old age, he let his non-Jewish wives, the one place, he, one of the places he strayed is he should have never married the, the hundreds of wives he did, particularly the ones from false religions from these other areas. Because sure enough, in his old age, his non-Jewish wives led him astray. First Kings 11, four. Now it happened at the time that Solomon was old. His wives turned his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Again, he 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 completely strayed from the worship of God. And it and it should be clear, and of course we go, oh, okay, well, yeah, but we don't hear anything terrible happening to him. Read Ecclesiastes. It's written by him. If you didn't know that, it is written by Solomon. And note what he says after all of this. Ecclesiastes 1-2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. He's basically saying silliness of silliness. Um, uselessness of uselessness. All is uselessness. He's making clear that everything, and if you read through all of Ecclesiastes, he makes clear that everything except for the pursuit of God is a complete and total waste of time. He had all of it, and he threw it away on a garbage choice. And the choice wasn't so much, at least the way I understand it, the choice wasn't that he was led astray. The choice was that he married all those wives trying to draw in power and let himself being corrupt, be corrupted by them. Um, one that should be easiest first to think of, Judas. He was one of the 12. Judas Iscariot, he was one of the 12. He had the opportunity to end up being closer to Christ than anybody but those 12. But he sold out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And, you know, it's easy for us to judge, but the fact is I, my wife and I have been hearing an old gospel song, groups singing now, it's not really that old, group is singing it now, but the guy, the guy makes the statement that, you know, Judah sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, silver I'd have probably sold him out for less. Um, yeah, same here. I'd have probably sold him out for less. That That's, you know, I, I don't want to try to stand up on a pedestal and look down on these folks. But again, Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And we've got no indication that he ever repented of it. Yeah, he was sad about it, but he was sad in a worldly sense, not not in a spiritual sense. And then he hung himself without repenting. He damned himself. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. <laughs> Again, quick, quick, their story. They, they, you know, everybody, the church was gathering together. The church was trying to support each other. In some cases, they were selling off things they, they owned to put money into the church to provide for those who needed. And Ananias and Sapphira went to sell some land. And they had told the congregation, hey, we're going to give you 100% of, you know, of, of what this land sells for. Well, when they come back in, they give Peter um, a certain amount of money, which didn't happen to be the 100% of the sales price. They kept part of it, which they could have done. It wasn't that they had to give 100%. It's that they said they were going to give 100% to the congregation and said it to the leadership of the church and then gave them amount telling them it was 100%, but it wasn't. They basically lied to the Holy Spirit. They basically lied to the Holy Spirit. So at, at that point, when, when Peter questions 
Ananias. And Ananias sticks with his lie. Peter knows it. And the Holy Spirit strikes him down. And then Sapphira comes in later and she backs up Ananias' story. And Peter says, hey, the, the feet of those who have just taken and buried your husband are at the door to take you. And she drops dead. Again, fatal, fatal um, consequence of a sinful choice. And that's what we're going to see. We, we're going to see these guys. Um, like, like I said, it's how to die in your sin. We're going to see in these verses, verses 22 through 30 of John chapter eight, how these, these Jewish leaders, these, these men that should have been more informed, more knowledgeable, more trained to know the Messiah, to know the son of God, to recognize him and to respond appropriately than anybody else in first century Palestine. But they don't. So leading into these verses, unbelief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah is inexcusable. By this point in the gospel of John, their disbelief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah is inexcusable. They no longer have any excuse. And as I've said across the last couple of, couple of weeks, he was performing more than enough miracles, including healings. He has shown clearly that he meets all the prophecies that speak of him from the law and the prophets. He has shown clear witnesses that even the Jewish leadership should have accepted to the face that he was that he was the Christ, the son of God. Um, the reading, our reading today was the end of John chapter five. That's him presenting the witnesses that that's, and we worked through that, I don't know, a month or so ago. That's him presenting the witnesses. It's very, very clear that he is the Christ, the son of God. They have no excuse at this point to not believe in him. And that's basically what it is. And we're going to see how these how people die in their sin. So what we're going to see across these nine verses this week, God willing, are four ways to die in your sin. And in a nutshell, real quick, they are to be self-righteous, to be worldly, to be unbelieving, and to be willfully ignorant. Now, in my book, honestly, all of these really fall under being unbelieving because if you're unbelieving, you're going to be self-righteous. You're going to be worldly. You're going to be will, willfully ignorant. I think unbelieving fits with all the others, but, but we're going to break it down that way. We're going to, to, you know, God willing tomorrow we'll deal with being self-righteous as, as a way to end up dying in your sin. Uh, Wednesday will be with, to be being worldly as a way to die within our sins. Thursday we'll deal with being an unbelieving as a way to die in our sins. And Friday we'll be dealing with being willfully ignorant, um, which is a lot, honestly, a lot of what I see in this gospel of John as a way to die in your sins. Now, again, that's a, that's all God willing, assuming nothing else happens and everything is fine, but that's what we're going to be tackling this week. So I hope you come back and you listen to the rest of it as we work our way on from, uh, here from John chapter eight, verse 22 through verse 30. So again, Let's go ahead and we're going to close out in prayer, but I want to thank you for spending this time with me, for continuing on in the Bible study with me and uh, 
for taking this time. I, I, it, it, it blesses my soul and I hope it blesses yours and I hope it continues to edify and equip you as we try to break down, um, these verses and, and to truly grasp and understand them. All right. So let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, we'll close out like we usually do with the second day evening prayer. It's called bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.